Scriptures, Mark, the 12th chapter, beginning in verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came up and heard them debating. Notice that, noticing that Jesus gave a good answer, he asked him, which of the commandments is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is this. And we'll do it a bit in Hebrew if you follow after me. Well, then we'll do it in English together. Shema Israel. Adonai Elohenu. Adonai Had. And together, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Be seated, please. Back this spring, Pastor Dinah introduced you to a town that's not listed in the Bible. It's called Priene. It is on the Aegean Sea. It is just um, past Ephesus. Ephesus was perhaps the most important city of the ancient world, really rivaling Rome in power and exceeding Rome in wealth. And if uh, Ephesus was sort of like a New York City, then Priene was like a Chicago. It was an important town. It was known most of all for its temple to the goddess Athena. This is a temple that was uh, built and developed by the same architect as the Parthenon. It was about two-thirds the size of the Parthenon. It was so large that some scholars estimate that you could see it 10, 15, maybe even 20 miles away at sea. You could see it gleaming as you closed in on Priene. The same sculptor who had worked at, uh, Parth- at the Parthenon, the world-famous Phidias, had carved and sculpted the statues that were at the Temple of Athena. Not only was it a glorious building, but there were amazing things that happened inside there. If you were traveling and needed a place to stay for the night, you could stay there for free. If you were thirsty and needed water, you could get water. If you were hungry, you would be fed uh, with food free of charge. If you couldn't make the trip up north to the Asclepius Temple in Pergamum, which was sort of like the Mayo Clinic of its day, there was a medical clinic there available for you on the grounds of the temple, and of course it was also free. If you needed someone to help take care of your children while you took care of business in town, they would take care of your children, and they would educate them at the same time while they were with them. It was, in many ways, a full-service temple for the community and for the world. And you might ask, well, why would they go to such efforts to build such an expensive and and, uh, phenomenal building and then to have all these activities in the building? And the simple answer is this, that for the ancient world, that part of the ancient world, the first century uh, A.D., what people knew about your God, the God you worshipped, is what they saw in the temple. That's what they learned. And so if you had an impressive temple with impressive uh, activities and, and uh, community uh, outreaches, then people walked away saying, wow, that Athena is really something. But you need to know that in the same town in Priene was a group of people who uh, worshipped in basically a living room. Archaeologists found some years ago uh, about two houses down from a place where Alexander the Great once spent the summer they found uh, from a few centuries later a small house that had obviously been converted to take the shape of a small synagogue. There was a place to put the uh, scrolls, the Torah. There was a place, chief seats for the wise people in the community to sit. It was a small worshiping community. 
And the German archaeologist who worked on that said, if you look at that and you look at some of the later things in Priene, that one of the things that you realize is that probably many of those Jews became Christians, and the earliest Christians didn't worship in a large temple. They worshipped in a very small living room. But you also need to know this, that within 125 years, according to experts, 90% of Priene, as well as about 90% of most of Asia, had become Christian. Within 125 years, Athena was a distant memory, and the church of Jesus Christ was alive and well. And so it raises the question, what happened? How do you explain the phenomenal growth of the Christian community in this important city? Well, I suppose there are a number of explanations you could put forth. One thing you might say is, well, they probably had great preaching. You know, maybe even uh, Peter or Paul uh, came through town and, and did some sort of revival. But the fact of the matter is there's no biblical record and no record in church tradition outside the Bible that any of the apostles ever made it to Priene. They may have, but there's no record of it. Likely the first Christians in Priene were those who had been converted at Pentecost and came across from Jerusalem to Priene because many Jews uh, uh, worked in Asia because they were very good with uh, textiles, they were very good with dyeing uh, of cloth, and uh, were also artisans that were treasured uh, by the um, uh, Greco-Roman community. Uh, so often they would go to different parts of the world. But it probably wasn't the great preaching. Uh, you might think, well, I guess it was uh, probably uh, because... They had uh, a wonderful, attractive facility that they must have built. Uh, and the fact of the matter is, as far as we can tell, at least for three centuries, all they did was worship in little houses. Well, you might think, well, perhaps it, they became so important politically that they were able to vote the atheists out of office and, and vote the Christians into office, and that transformed the town. The fact of the matter is, Christians were considered atheists because they didn't worship the Roman gods, and they were not even allowed to vote. It wasn't a matter of casting the vote for the right person. They never got to cast a vote. And yet within 125 years. And you might say, well, I know the answer. They came and they preached that you could be saved and go to heaven in Jesus. And that's very important to know that. But the fact of the matter is every ancient religion promised salvation in heaven. Everyone said if you stick with their God, their God would navigate you through the stars until you got to the heavens wherever that was and you would be safe for all eternity. It must have been something else. What was it that caused such an explosion of Christianity in this important town? Well, before we get to it, I thought it might be fun to kind of look at what we do in our day. And I think it's kind of interesting to look at, at American and uh, Protestantism, Western Christianity in our world. As some of you know, I've been doing it for more weeks than you can probably count. And, and my thesis has been that somehow over the centuries, we've gotten away from what I think Jesus intended, and we've kind of gone our own path as we do church together. And now look at what we do in our world. We try to bring in great preachers, and we try to put them in nice buildings. And uh, failing that, we bring in a famous evangelist and put them in a football stadium. Or we rent airtime on TV. We think it's the great preaching approach. Uh, others uh, think it must be the great program approach. 
And so we have programs at this church that are wonderful for children, youth, and senior adults. We have ministries out of our church that open uh, food cupboards and uh, utility help to those who are in need. And these are wonderful, wonderful programs. Our, another thing we've tried is we've tried to vote the right people into office. If we get the right party elected whatever that right party is, then we'll all line up and God will save America because we'll be a Christian nation. Or we've thought, well, if we tell people that they're going to die one day and ask them what's going to happen to them, that'll do it. So how many of you have been asked at least once in your life if you died tonight, would you go to heaven? What strikes me about every one of these strategies is this is exactly what the Athena Temple did. We do church for Jesus the way they did church for Athena. And you've got to ask yourself, what's wrong with that picture? Because what happened is the church of Athena died. And this small movement in little homes exploded like wildfire. What gives? Here's a theory. Here's a theory. I don't think any of us know completely. But the theory is, if you look at the first Jews who would have come over, what did they think they were supposed to do? They thought they were supposed to live out the Shema in front of people. They were to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, wherever they were, in front of the people they were with. And that would be the picture of God for those people. And God wasn't into big buildings. God built one temple under Solomon, and it just really wasn't all that big. And then Herod came and tried to make it real big. God said, I don't want in a building. It's going to be in my people. What God did is God brought God's people out of slavery and put them smack dab on the road that, that connects Egypt and Babylon so that millions of people every year would walk past this small community of people and they would watch these people loving God and loving others. That was God's grand strategy. No big program, no big building, no political power, just folks loving God loving each other in front of everybody. And what I think happened is they took the same attitude that the early church did. Look at how many times the letters of Paul will say something about the householder faith or greet the church that meets at the house of. And they took that strategy and they said, we're going to get right in the middle of the community and we're going to love God and love each other and love them. That's just, that's our plan. That's what we're going to do. And it was so attractive that it spread and it spread like wildfire just to love god and love others jesus was asked what's the greatest commandment jesus said well love god with all your heart and soul and in this version in mark he says mind and strength well what's the second one well love your neighbor as yourself so what happened was that when you came to this christian community likely in meeting in a small house it didn't matter whether you were the mayor or you were a slave. You all sat down and ate the same food at communion. You ate in whatever order uh, that you came in, and often the servant ate before the master. Roman society was built, and offices in Rome were built on how much money you had, and you had to have a certain number of, uh, of cestations before you could be the highest, which was emperor. It wasn't based on election. It was based on wealth. And everything was a clear caste system. But when you walk through the doors of this tiny living room, everyone was equal, everyone was sh shared with one another, and everyone felt loved. 
And the people loved each other and loved God. And when they loved God, they risked being thrown out of the economy. Fifteen years later, they'll be, uh, they'll be facing death because they don't worship the emperor. And people saw that they would risk their life to worship this God. And then people saw that they would be loved regardless of their rank or station, their wealth, their talents. They would just be loved for who they were. And that captured, I believe, the imagination not only of a city but of a continent. And Christianity grew and exploded. What could that mean for us today? Well, I'm not against programs. I think it's been great programs that have sent people like Susan uh, to the Dominican and, uh, and Michael and Lil to, uh, to Africa and, and groups uh, to Piedras from our church, and that needs to continue. And it's important to continue to train our children and our youth. But we need to know that the purpose of that is so that we can love God and love others. And that really I think the best strategy is that wherever we find ourselves on our daily basis, we need to love God without reservation and love each other without strings. My challenge to you this week would be this. Try to spontaneously bless three people this week. Just somebody in the grocery store, somebody at the gas station, somebody in your kitchen. Try just... Without, without much premeditation, without any fanfare, look for an opportunity to bless three different people this week. Just to include them. Just to love them the way that that house church would have loved people in Priene. And when they see that, they start to get a glimpse of the God you worship. I was in the Charlotte airport yesterday, and uh, apparently uh, yesterday in Charlotte there was a sold-out debate between Christopher Hitchens, some of you heard of him, he wrote uh, God is Not Great, and uh, he's sort of an atheist evangelist, along with uh, Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins, and they're every bit as evangelistic as Billy Graham, they just evangelist the other, way, other side. He came to uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, yesterday afternoon to debate a Christian physicist. This was fascinating for two reasons. One is it was uh, sold out, and it was on a, a southeastern uh, football afternoon, which surprised me. The second thing was, you know, I was impressed that somebody be willing to debate this, um, this very smart atheist. But when I put down the newspaper, I was a little sad. Because I thought, why is it that we even have to debate these matters? Could it possibly be because the atheist, the person running from God, the person forming opinions about God, has never seen the real God in us? When people see us love God, and in the name of Jesus Christ, see us love other people, that doesn't leave much room for debate.